If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Malachi chapter 3. I'll be starting in verse 6 today. Uh, This morning as we get nearer to the end of this little book of Malachi that we've been studying in this series, Return to Me, uh, we're going to talk today about the controversial topic of giving. And I say controversial because uh, regardless of how faithful I try to be uh, or stay to the text, uh, despite presenting a biblical understanding of the principle of giving, uh, despite casting vision for what a generous ministry can achieve, invariably, a sermon on giving will run, rub, rub somebody in the wrong way. There's always those critiques, that, you know, the church is always asking for money, or, or this is just a sermon to, to pay your salary. And so some will be angry, or uh, confused, or upset, or even maybe feel guilty about a sermon on giving. But as we've progressed through this book of Malachi, this series, hopefully that you can see today is not... Uh, me cherry-picking on a certain topic because of, you know, budget constraints, but but rather a a natural and gradual progression to where this little book has headed these last few weeks. Uh, By preaching through this uh, third chapter, uh, this is not something that we're focusing on giving because we wanted to preach on it, but rather uh, talking about it as it goes naturally through Scripture, as God presents it in this greater context of what this book is all about. And so as we talk about giving this morning, I want to do so uh, with kind of three different types of givers in mind. I, I've said this before, it's an analogy I've used before, but there's kind of three types of givers. The first one is, is like flint. You know, you have to strike it hard for it to give. And so whether it be a, a, a hard-hitting appeal or a hard-hitting sermon, there's something that you, you just you strike them and they give and it, and it puts out the spark. Uh, there's another kind of giver is, is kind of the sponge that you just you squeeze it until it turns loose its contents. You know, you keep talking about money or you keep presenting it until eventually you just wear them down. Uh, but the third type of giver is the one I think we should all aspire to be, uh, which is a honeycomb. The, the contents just ooze out naturally by, the, by nature of it being what it is. I hope that we can respond to God's call to give to his church, to his mission, to his ministry, to his kingdom uh, as honeycombs. That is a natural outpouring of what's inside of us, the spirit uh, of generosity within us. Because it's easy to respond out of guilt. We, we all know what guilt is, but we know that guilt and, and how it spurs us to action doesn't really last. When you're a kid and, and finally your mom wears you down and guilts you into cleaning your room, you clean it just enough to kind of pass inspection before it all gets dirty again. You, you shove it all in a closet or you, you push it all behind the bed, the dresser, wherever it is, uh, until it passes inspection, until you can get out of the guilt, uh, and then it carries on again. You never really had a change in wanting to clean your room, wanting to change things. And so we know that guilt doesn't last, but rather generosity lasts. As we've progressed through this book of Malachi, uh, we've seen this back and forth between God and Israel, uh, kind of this question and answer is God will bring a charge against them, They will ask a question in response, and God will respond uh, with a a lengthy discourse answering this question. So as we begin in verse 6 this morning, uh, we see the question they ask. God says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? 
How are we robbing you? There's actually a couple of questions that Israel asks in response to this, but as we unpack this today, I think it's interesting that God begins this discussion on giving by reminding Israel of his faithfulness. It kind of goes back to what we looked at in the first chapter of this series uh, when Israel asked God this question of how have you loved us? Israel is coming back from exile, coming back into a time of difficulty. Their present circumstances surrounding them are difficult. And as they return to their homeland, in the midst of all of this, God says to them, I love you. And they say, how? You know, is this what your love looks like, God? Is this difficulty? Is this hardship? This tragedy surrounding us? Is this your love? And so in response to cement in their minds his love for them, God reminds them of his covenant faithfulness. He reminds them of his promise to Abraham and to Israel, that God chose them to be his special nation of promise, and he has remained faithful to them despite all the times that they have been faithless. And so God, again, reminds them of this. He says, I I do not change. I am still here. And because I'm still here, you are still here. During all the times that you have fallen short, I remain true. And so he issues them this charge that where we get the, actually the subtitle for this sermon series, this idea of return to me. Because the people might have returned physically, but as far as faithfulness goes, they were still in exile. They might physically be back in the land of Israel, but their hearts really haven't returned to who God has called them to be. And I find in this a couple of interesting observations about God's faithfulness when it comes to giving, about what he says here. We see that God roots his call to being faithful, to faithful giving, and his own faithfulness. God is not asking us to give as kind of a one-way street, but rather reminding us of his faithfulness, and the response to that is our faithful love. That our giving to God is not a, a business transaction, but instead a loving response to his loving kindness. And secondly, I find it interesting that throughout this book, we've seen Israel relationally distant from God. Over and over again, he's been calling them back, but he waits until this section on giving to usher those words, return to me. We see that the relational distance between them and God was at least in part a result of a lack of giving. This call to return, this call to come close, is couched in the midst of a discussion on tithing. And so what he's telling us is that dropping a a check in the offering plate as it passes isn't going to give you a special access, special connection to God. But if you feel distant from God and are not a tither, there might be more of a connection there than you think. And so as God calls us to return to him, he makes this direct connection to our grasp on money. God calls us to return to him in verse 7, he says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? He again says, Will you, a mere mortal, rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? He answers, In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. As Israel 
responds to God, on the surface, it looks like the response is one of, of repentance and earnestness. You know, how are we to return? How, how do we get closer to you, God? But when we read this in the context of the rest of the book, that we know, we know that Israel is not really in this mindset. Israel is not uh, couched themselves in terms of repentance throughout this letter, but rather terms of continuing defensiveness and defiance and, and stubbornness. Essentially, what they're saying to God is they say, how are we to return? They're saying, you know, in, in regard to what sin are we supposed to return? What have we done wrong? What should we apologize for, God? I mean, if I'm remembering right, God, you are the one who sent us to exile. You are the one who called us back. You are the one who made things difficult for us. And we're supposed to return to you. But in reference to them saying, what have we done wrong? Imagine all of the things God could have said. He could have said, you know, your distance from me is caused by you chasing after foreign gods and idols. Or you've been cruel to your neighbors and foreigners. You've not upheld justice. Or you worship with empty and callous hearts and you go through the religious rituals, but your hearts are not in it. God could have said all of these things that had separated the people from him, but rather he focuses on one. They'd been robbing him. It wasn't their idolatry, it wasn't their lack of worship, it wasn't their lack of justice that had separated from God, that had hindered their relationship with God, it was their lack of giving. In fact, God, by saying, you've robbed me, is implying something about tithing to begin with. He's implying that he is the source of all we have. God might have entrusted it into our care, but ultimately everything we have, every dime we make, every talent we possess is ultimately still his. And so when God says, you've robbed me by not giving me a tithe, he's reminding us whose money we actually have in our wallets and purses and bank accounts. God is plainly declaring that the tithe belongs to him. And so he says, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to bless you with only blessings that I can provide. But first you have to show that you trust me. And the way that we trust God in our finances is by doing through what the Bible calls a tithe. Now many of you in this room are probably familiar with what a tithe is, but if you're not, a tithe is giving 10% of what you make, your income, back to God. A tithe is giving before all of the bills are paid, before the expenses are taken care of, the first fruits, the, the beginning of the harvest. Tithing is supposed to be a sacrificial gift, a good portion of our income to honor God because we believe that He can use it better than we can. We as a church practice a tithe in, in our own giving. You know, 10% of our budget every year goes to missions. We want to practice what God has called us to do as a church body. That 10% of, of what comes in through offerings and gifts goes out to expand his kingdom around the world. And so this morning, I want us to understand that tithing, this, this giving 10% of our income back to God, isn't something that we do because of this oppressive rule. It's not something we do because God has said so but rather as something we do as a loving response. Again, God reminds us, he says in verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I think what's interesting about this whole concept of tithing here in Malachi 3 is that there's a blessing attached to giving. God says, if you will be faithful to me in giving a, a sacrificial portion of what I have blessed you with, then you will be amazed of how I respond. You will be amazed at what I pour into your life. And along with this expectation of tithing, uh, we see an additional response. 
that God's blessing is one that comes in a way that is in response to our giving. That God says, test me in this. It's one of the few, if only, places in all of Scripture that God invites us to test Him. He says, put me to the test. Give and see if I will not respond. You don't have to do this blindly. Test Him and see if He will not respond by giving you more than you put in. And so along with this expectation of tithing, I want to give you three principles of tithing that will lead us to greater faith and greater faithfulness in our giving. The first principle is, is this, that tithing is a building block of trust. Tithing is a building block of trust. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is, you know, put it this way, that, you know, it comes down to, you know, calculating a loving response. That's not really a very attractive thing. You know, how much do I love God? Let's see, you know, carry the one, a decimal goes here. You know, when you talk about tithe, it's, it's not very exciting. It's so sterile. It's, it's so math. And we don't want to talk about percents and numbers and decimal places. We want to talk about people changed and lives transformed through Jesus. We want to talk about how people can be impacted for the kingdom. And that's ultimately, though, what tithing is about. A, a faithful response, not an obligation. I mean, imagine giving, uh, getting a gift for your special someone in, in your life and thinking, what, you know, what is the least amount that I can spend on a gift and, and still be in the clear? You know, get, do I get flowers and the chocolates, or do I just have to get the flowers? Are the flowers enough? Maybe, I hope I don't have to throw in dinner too. You know, that's not a very loving response. And, and if you aren't careful, tithing can become exactly that, or obligatory 10%. You know, what is the minimum that I can give? Then, you know, cut God a check so he doesn't get mad at me. But what we see is that, honestly, tithing leads us to a greater amount of trust. That we can test God by his invitation and see if he will not prove honest and trustworthy. I mean, how many of us believe that God is, has forgiven our sins when you accept Jesus? I mean, hopefully all of us. How many of us believe that your sins are, are forgiven, and if they're forgiven in Jesus, that you'll spend eternity with him in heaven? Hopefully, again, all of us. How many of us believe that God is good and loving and holy? You know, so why do we believe these things? Because that's what God has told us about himself. And if you believe that God is telling the truth about those things, then why are we hesitant to believe him when he says, if you give 10% back to me, I will bless it and bless you for it. One of the most remarkable things about this passage is that call to test God. That he invites us, the God of the universe, who, who with a flick of a finger could send solar systems spinning out of orbit, says, test me in this, examine me in this. Check and see if I'm telling the truth. You see, tithing is a building block of our trust because it provides yet one more area of our lives where we can see that God will do what he says he will do. The second principle of tithing is that tithing creates within us a heart of generosity. Nobody really likes uh, a stingy person. I mean, how, many, how many of you know... The, you know, somebody, you know, my favorite characteristic about that guy is that he is just a real tightwad. You know, he never shares nothing with nobody. He's, he's just quite a guy. No, we love generous people. And God is a generous God. And Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it will be given to you a good measure, press, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. 
You see, when God gives, he, he doesn't do it like when you open a bag of chips. I get so mad when I open a new bag of chips. Because you open it and it's like, where's the other 75% of it? You know, it's all settled down and, and you open it, it's mostly air. But when God gives, he, he shakes it down and he settles it. And then when he shakes it down, he puts more on top of it. And he makes room to fill more and he continues to pour in to our lives. Tithing invites God to respond generously because it is our declaration that we trust him to do so. Nowhere do we see God's generosity more apparent than in sending Jesus to redeem us. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became full poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Now, this isn't necessarily a, a financial richness, but rather saying God is so generous with us that he would step down from his throne and, and come to walk among us, and he would endure our hardships, and he would endure our human condition so that we might have the eternal riches of heaven. When we give financially to God, he promises, though, to enrich our lives financially. He says, when you give financially, you will reap financially. But he doesn't do this so that we can benefit, you know, amass for ourselves, but rather so that we can develop this generosity within us, that as we give, God gives us greater ability to give more. When we look at God's definition of rich, he doesn't say that you should give to him so that you can get, but so that you you should give so that you can get to give again. That as we tithe and as we demonstrate our trust in God to respond, he will give us more opportunities to be generous. And what is ultimately created within us is a heart of generosity. That the sole goal of asking God's richness in our giving isn't for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom. That God promises us that when we give to him, he will give us the financial ability to be generous people. Giving isn't about forcing God into a corner because he said he would give if we do. But rather, giving is about allowing ourselves to be used by God as his vehicles for generosity. And so I want to encourage you that if you struggle with, with greed or, or anxiety about, about your finances or, or have a stingy heart, One way to remedy that is to begin tithing. Because gratitude for what we have and generosity with what we have is the greatest antidote to the poison of greed. The third principle of tithing is that tithing expands our impact. And this is perhaps the most important point I can make about tithing. That at the end of the day, our giving is all about expanding the kingdom of God. We focus, uh, the focus of our giving shouldn't be about how much we can amass in the church checking account. But what God can turn loose in us as we give so that he might open up the floodgates through our giving. If we give for any other reason than to see people come to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, then we've really missed the point. Just like with anything else that we have, anything else that we talk about in church, our giving it's all about seeing lives transformed and relationships restored and people coming to find the life-saving power of Jesus. The goal behind our giving is the same goal behind everything we do as a church to see people know Jesus. We want to see our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and our friends, we want to see them transformed and restored and come to find this life-saving, life-giving power of Jesus become a reality in their lives. 
And God allows us to partner with Him in that mission through our own generosity. Imagine what God could turn loose in us or turn loose in our community if we could fully fund the vision He has set before us. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be going through a series uh, defining some of the future vision for the DNA of the church, looking at some of the things that are our core values of who we are. And as we move into that, you know, imagine what ministries can sprout and what involvement can happen, the missions that can be funded, the students that could be impacted and reached, the influence that could be made into the poverty that surrounds us if we allow ourselves to be used by God by giving only 10% of what we make. The average percentage of giving per Christian is less than 2%. But imagine what God could do with 10 And so this morning, I want to invite you unapologetically to begin tithing. But if you've never obeyed God's prompting to tithe, I want you to consider making that commitment this morning. And I can't promise that it will be easy, and in some ways it might stretch you. I mean, it's called sacrifice for a reason. But in all my years of tithing, I've never once missed the money when you see the impact that God can do with what you put in His hands. God invites us to test him in this, to examine who he is in this area. And I want to invite you to do the same. For some of you, this might mean prayerfully you know, putting pen to paper to figure out what a tenth of your income actually is. For some of you, this might mean writing out your, your check every week ahead of time before the bills are paid, before anything else as God calls us to as an act of trust. For others, you know, in kind of this post-check society we live in, Maybe that means giving online. There's a little QR card right in our bulletin. You can use your smartphone and benefit the kingdom through a smartphone. Whatever it is, however you do, I would invite you to begin giving a tithe back to God as the source of all of our blessings so that he might bless us to be vehicles of generosity for his kingdom. But not only do I want to invite you uh, to give a tenth this morning, I want to invite you really to give everything. I know we're like, whoa, whoa, you know, I thought 10%, I can maybe handle that, I can't do everything. But everything, not in reference to your wallet, but to your life. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus also affirms the practice of tithing, but he, again, he calls us to a higher standard. He's speaking against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, and he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hip- hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus says, you guys, you know, give 10% down to the, the spices in your spice racks. But you've missed the greater picture. He says, all the money in the world, all the faithful giving in the world, if not joined with your life, is meaningless in God's economy. Jesus affirms the tithe. He says, no, don't neglect the former. But he also recognizes the need for deeper discipleship. He often tithing gives us this mindset that, that 10% of what I owe is, is God's and the remaining 90% is mine to do with what I want. But Jesus says, if you're just interested in giving God his 10% of your stuff and don't couple it with your heart, then it means nothing. And so the next few moments, we're going to have this invitation. And it's really a time to invite a response. 
And maybe for some of you, this, this response in giving, maybe for the very first time, uh, isn't a response in which you'll come forward and, and talk about it. But maybe for you, it's, it's not a, a tithing response. Maybe you've been doing that for a long time. But rather, the response is one of a change of heart. Maybe you need to consider prayerfully what you can give to fight God financially as he seeks to bless you in response. But maybe for you, what's more important is to consider giving him your very life to see that he will not also respond by your giving with even greater giving of his own. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I know that sometimes giving sermons are not the flashiest not the most attractive, not necessarily what we want to hear. But we know how important they are. And as we've gone through this book of Malachi, I find it interesting that you couch this discussion on tithing and giving in the, in the midst of this other areas of, of faithlessness. But God, we know that you are faithful in the times that we are faithless. And we know that you are good even when we are not. But God, we also know that you have called us uniquely in this portion to test you in this. That the God of the universe who, who is beyond our comprehension, beyond our, our reach in a way that we can grasp you and understand you and you know, put you in this box or put you in this pocket, you say to your creation, go ahead, test me. Try me on this. So God, I pray that you know, if there's somebody here that has not tested you in this area, by responding with this faithful response of giving 10% of what is yours ultimately anyway. I pray that you would encourage them to test you. That you would give them opportunities to give, and in response, you would give them eyes to see how you have responded by opening the floodgates of your blessings. God, I pray that above all, you would make us generous people. That we would not give as some kind of you know, Ponzi scheme to, to force you to, to give back to us, but rather that we would become faithful givers so that you could increase our generosity and ultimately increase our kingdom impact. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us, that your grace is greater than anything that we could have done. And in response to that grace, you've asked us just to give back a portion of what is already yours to demonstrate our trust in you. God, please help us to trust. Help us to respond. Help us to be yours and return to you. I pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.